0: Hello, my name's Jane and I'd like to begin by paying my respects to the Wondery people, to the traditional custodies of this land where we are meeting upon today for its elders and parson presence and even for people with a disability and an intellectual disability as well. And also I'd like to introduce Arthur here as well to the 3CR radio.
1: Thanks, Jane. Nice to be talking with you.
0: Yes. Now, we'll be getting down to business now. Who is Arthur Rogers and what do you do?
1: Well, Jane, um, um, I'm the Disability Services Commissioner right now, and I've been doing that for just about a year. Um, It's a sort of statutory appointment that oversees disability services, looks at complaints investigates a range of issues, and we also do capacity building and community education. So that's what I do now.
0: What were you doing before that? Before
1: that, I spent a lot of time working in the Department of Health and Human Services.
0: Was it connected to disability people?
1: A lot of that time, I was actually, it was called the Executive Director of Disability then, but it was sort of leading the disability program, which is where I think I first met you. Um, And I was doing that for quite a long time, probably from the late 90s, and, um, and I did it really through till about ten years nine or ten years ago uh, and then I did something else in the department which is I went and did um, the director of housing job which was I was sort of looking at public housing and community housing and overseeing that sort of thing
0: no connection to the CRU's
1: no 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 the, the director of housing really did public housing and community housing I was connected to the CRU's when I was the director of executive director of disability used to sort of be responsible for them then and then um, prior to coming to this current role, I was in Department of Premier and Cabinet where I was providing advice on the rollout of the National Disability Insurance Scheme from a state's perspective because the state's obviously got a big role in helping it roll out. So I was working there and then I was lucky enough that I was appointed to the Disability Services Commissioner in August of last year.
0: Well, that's great news then. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, thanks. Everyone is talking about the NDIS... Has this changed the role of your office? Do you still take complaints? Uh,
1: It has changed the role of my office. So the National Disability Insurance Scheme is is obviously going to be a national scheme when it's rolled out fully, and um, it's just about rolled out fully now. It's um, got a little way to go in Victoria, but it's mostly been rolled out, and I think Western Australia gets rolled out by the middle of next year, so then it's a national scheme. And because it's a national scheme... um, the government, all the governments agreed they would set up a national framework for quality and safeguards. And so they've created a national commissioner for quality and safeguards for the NDIS, which has just started in Victoria. And they will take over the roles that I've been doing, more or less, uh, but across the country. So you'll have a consistent sort of approach across the country to, to quality and safeguards, which is great. Um, but right now we're in transition still. So the, the scheme hasn't rolled out fully in Victoria yet. So I'm still operating in parallel to the National Commission. Yeah. And the stuff that we do is basically around... So we handle complaints for anything pre the 1st of July because that's when the National Commission started here. Um, and any matters pre 1st of July, we do those. If people have got complaints and they're not yet in the scheme, so they're not participants in the scheme, then we take their complaints and we'll help work with them and the providers around their complaints... There are some people who don't go in the scheme. They're not eligible, like people in the Disability Forensic Service and some others. So they, we will continue to cover those for a while yet. And there's people called in-kind, which is a classification of funding, which I won't bore you with. No. But it basically, it's some people who live in the, gov- the group homes that were run by government transferring to the non-government sector. We still cover those. So we'll be going in parallel to the National Commission through till sometime next year. And we're so we're working with them. People have their participants in the scheme already. The National Commission will receive their complaints and resolve them. Yeah. And where, where people are confused, they can come to either of us and we'll make sure there's no wrong door. We'll sort of sort out the back of house. But basically that's how it works now. So uh, me as Commissioner and all the staff there will continue to, to do what we've been doing, including sort of community education, capacity building role for the, for the foreseeable future, till yep. next year anyway. Mm-hmm.
0: And is there an area where you're working for the ones who are Aboriginal and Indigenous people who've got disabilities as well?
1: Well, not so much an area, but where, where people have come to us, we're very mindful that if they're from an Aboriginal or Indigenous background, that you know, we provide a culturally safe and a culturally appropriate welcoming approach to them. You know, we, we know that we need to think about what best works for a person who is an Indigenous person, an Aboriginal person. So we need to think about how we would work with them that best meets their needs. And of course, each person is different anyway. But We also know that people who are from Indigenous backgrounds have different issues and they've had lots of other disadvantages, as well as being a person with a disability. So we need to be mindful of that, as we do for other groups that have particular issues. So. Um, You know, the staff in in the Commission, I think, are very mindful of that. Um, You know, I I guess people with a disability... People with intellectual disability or disability who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, they're not a high proportion of the people who use services because they're not a high proportion of the population. But when they come to us, it's very important that we respond to them that's going to work for them.
0: Mm. Yep, that's good. Um, What is your view on the upcoming of the
1: Royal Commission... Well, first of all, I really welcome the government's announcement and all the Australian government's support that we're going to have a Royal Commission into Disability, Abuse and Neglect. I think it's a really watershed moment for disability in the country, or it can be. So I think it's it's a great thing to do. Uh, what I'd really like to encourage people with a disability and their families to actually use the chance and speak up. You know, Part of the things we say as part of our work is it's OK to complain, Absolutely. it's OK to speak up. This is a great chance for people to speak up, to have their say, and tell the Royal Commission their stories, because there's nothing more powerful than your own story, That's your right. own lived experience. Yeah, and no one can tell it like you can tell it, or the person can tell it. That's right. So I think it's really important that they hear that and they get the support that they need to tell their stories, and they get the the way to tell the story that best best suits them, because some people won't do a submission. They may not want to go there in person. They might mm. want to go there in person. Yep. So anything that works, I think we need that mechanism. And, you know, with that chance, if the Royal Commission hears those stories. It's a great chance to create change. Mm. You know, when you look at things that happen in disability, sometimes there's little changes and big changes. Yep. This is probably a chance for another big change. So, I, you know, I think the potential is great. And, again, I just encourage everybody who's got an issue they want to talk about to get the support if they need it and speak up and have your say.
0: Yeah. That's good. Now it's time to go and have a break, and the song that we are playing is...
1: Well, I think you asked me to pick my favourite song, and I've got lots of favourite songs, but the one I picked, it's been my favourite song on and off now for a long, long time, probably about 40-plus years. It's a song from the 60s. It's from a group called The Four Tops. They're a Motown group, and it's called Reach Out, I'll Be There.
0: Okay. we now, and welcome back, Arthur. Thanks, Jane. How is the DSC supporting people who want to participate in the upcoming Royal Commission? Uh,
1: Again, as I mentioned before, it's really important that people get the right support. I actually think it's important that the Royal Commission provide the right support to people and they organise that through advocacy and other groups. So I think that's the primary role, to get support, but also advocacy groups service providers, they all should be helping people to have their say. What we'll do, we'll actually try, we'll work with people who come to us about, they they call us and they need some help, we'll talk to them about it, but probably our best job is to actually make sure they get the support that's being provided for them to do it. Yeah. Uh, But we're very happy to work with people and explain what it's all about. Um, And we'll, you know, as we do, we've got networks that we work through and we've got people who go and talk to community groups, so we'll talk about that message. Probably the first thing is to make sure people know it's there and they've got the chance to do it. Like right now, I think submissions are open. They call for submissions. So people just need, if they want to make a submission, if that's the way they want to do it, then we probably should be making sure people understand that as well.
0: Yep, that's good. What project are you, is your office currently working on? What are the key things for you, your office in the next few months?
1: Well, just in terms of the, the last question first. I mean, we clearly got to make sure we continue to work with the National Commission so that we we the transition for people it works well. The people are not confused about who to go to. A, they, they don't fall through the gap, so they don't get the runaround from both of us. So. One of the things key things for us is to actually make sure we've got good strong connections and discussion with the national Commission they've just set up their office in Box Hill with a state director, so we've got local people we're talking to so one of the things is to make sure as things come up we iron them out and people get the service and support they need as I mentioned before you know no wrong door if they come to us make sure we get them to the right place that's really important um, we just don't want people to have to get confused by the system so mm. they should you know we can sort out the back of the house they should go where they think they can get to and we'll help them with that. So that's really important about transition for us. But in a broader sense for the next few months, we've got a couple of things. And they're different aspects of our work. So the first one is we've just finished the second annual review around support for people who've died in receiving services. And there's a lot of work to do around that because there's still a lot of issues around the sorts of support people get. In disability services mostly in group homes Mm -hmm. but you know elsewhere too so we want to work with providers to actually try and embed better practice around that and that's really important it's about prevention of things happening Uh, on the same level but on a different aspect about prevention you know we've just launched a, a really great report about building safe and respectful cultures and that's actually a pilot research project that we did in conjunction with some academics but importantly with some community researchers people with a lived experience of disability, and Mm -hmm. they added immense value and richness to the project, both to the process and the outcome. So there's some really strong lessons around that. It's actually about what do you do in an organisation to build a culture that does prevent abuse? Mm. What we mostly do is respond to abuse and and check out what's happened, which is important, but it's better if we can stop abuse and help stop abuse, as you know. So what we're trying to do, we've got a really strong report, we've got a really good academic basis, which... You know, it was small in its sample, but I think it's got some really valuable lessons about the importance of respectful cultures, the importance of creating space so people can have a say about what's happening to them in the way that best suits them, and sort of watching out for the little things that that go wrong in places. and They're not checked. They can live to big things. So there's more to it than that. I'm not doing it really justice. But in the time we've got, it's a really important report, and it's important, I think, we get that message out to providers, to advocacy groups and others, about the importance of actually how you can you can change the culture of an organisation, which will make it a safer place for people.
0: Yes, so true there. Now, what are your hopes for the future?
1: Whew, well, I've got lots of hopes for the future. I hope Geelong win the premiership this year.
0: Well, I go for the magpies.
1: And I hope Melbourne Victory do really well and we win the first cricket test.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, I've been watching that.
1: Uh So that's sort of on my level. But on a broader level, um, my hope for the future really is I'd like to see the potential for the NDIS realised. Like, it's such a great big reform and such a strong piece of social reform that governments are doing. It's going to take a long time to get it right. Um, And they've made a good start, but there's lots of things that need to be fixed with it. So my hope is really that we reach the potential of that, which was about providing people with support that they can control, and they can direct. That makes a difference in their lives. And more people can do the things they want to do and live in the community and the way they want to live it. You know, and what's important to people with disabilities disability is important to everyone. It's about getting good health care, good education, jobs, being able to get on a tram, get into buildings, feeling safe, those sorts of things. You know, It's about that. So the NDIS is one part of it, but it's a really important part. And I'm hoping that as that rolls out and matures, it becomes the scheme we all want it to be. Backed by a really strong regulatory framework and backed by a really effective national Quality and Safety Commission, which can actually make sure that that works providers work in the way they should and i'm not and i 'm very hopeful for both of those things that it will once they start delivering what they need to and they I mean, what they already are, but when they fully develop deliver it it 's going to make a, a lot of difference in people 's lives with a disability and um, It's about time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I can imagine people with a disability, if they're working for the Royal Commission, you know, and taking over. I can imagine. Well, you know,
1: everybody should think about employing people with a disability because, hey, they add value to the workplace and they're great workers, of course. But but it's a bit about you get another perspective, you know. That's it. You talk to people. Like when I started my job, um, I did lots of reading. I spoke to lots of colleagues and stuff. The most important lessons I got were not from that. It was from talking to people with a disability mm. about the only way they can – they're the only ones who can tell their own stories. That's right. And there's nothing more powerful than that. So. And we
0: still need a lot more people out there to tell their stories as well um, because the more people that tell, tell their stories, the stronger and the powerful – the Royal Commission becomes and they believe the people and what they've gone through. It's not like those olden days where people never believed you. It's to what now, with yeah. people believing you and all that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely spotted. I mean, you know what it was like. People were put away in institutions and not seen and not heard and that's what, when bad things happen. That's right? right. You get open communities and people can have a say and um, same with the work we do now with complaints and other things we really want people to speak up and That's they should right. speak up. Yeah. The providers should want them to speak up because it's actually about improving services. So the more people talk to the Royal Commission about what's important to them and their lived experience, it'll be much more powerful evidence for them to make change. So yeah. again, you know, people should think about how they might tell the Royal Commission their story. That's right. Every is important.
0: Yeah, and even for the ones who do want to tell their story, um, the, s- the staff should not stick their nose in and tell them to shut up and, get, you know, not tell their
1: story at all. Well, absolutely not. No, they shouldn't. In fact, they shouldn't. It's not the staff story. We don't. It's not about that. It's actually about listening to the person. That's and the right. the person needs to be able to feel free to say what's happening to them. And if it's about the provider not doing the right thing, they should tell that. That's so right. So the provider doesn't need to be part of that. They should get independent support. Um... To, to tell their story. They don't need the provider's permission. They don't need their okay. They should just go and tell their story. Well,
0: I knew someone who did want it to tell the story, and this staff person told this person to shut up, So tell them that you don't want to tell it to them, because, you know, what happened to her is true. And well, she didn't want that. She, the staff didn't want her to open the big mouth and yeah. say it.
1: Well, that's just totally unacceptable, absolutely mm. unacceptable. And I'm glad, you know, I'm, at least it cl- sounds like it, but I'm I'm hoping they got the support so they could tell their story from someone else. Yeah. And I'm glad if they could do that, that they did. That's great.
0: Yeah. Um, these institutions that are closed already, well, what they are trying to do, and I don't know if you know a bit about this, but they are making these institutions as ghost tours, which I think stupid to me. And they're making the hall as a reception for weddings. That's at the home that I'm in, but I think it's stupid to me because there's a lot of ghosts there. But what do you think about these institutions to what they are doing to these homes now?
1: Well, I guess first thing I'd say is, you know, good riddance to institutions. There's mm. no place for big congregate separate segregated centres for people with disability in this community and this society now and there hasn't been for a long time. So it's great to see that Victoria's just about closing the last big one, which was Calander and Colac. I think all the people from there, the people left there will be moving out this year. So that that will be the last of the old scale, old time institutions. Um, they were built on like Crown Land a lot of them and a lot of them, you know, really the old ones, I and mean, you'd know them too. Like mm. They were built in very grand old buildings mm. um, and some of them I think are still standing. Um, I, I think they're not places where you should be celebrating anything about the history of them. I'm not saying that there weren't good people who worked in them. Some, some of them were, but lots of bad things happened to people with a disability in institutions and lots of terrible things happened. Um, so my my personal view is it's it's disrespectful to sort of do that sort of thing. I'm um, sort of probably not against repurposing them to something completely different, um, as long as it doesn't sort of in any way celebrate or commemorate what happened in those places. I mean, they're probably... You know, they're on valuable land. They're often not in right in the town because they're often right out of town, as you know. So they're not sort of often usable community spaces, which would be great if they were used for community use, like so that, you know, community could use them for different good, like, community purposes. So I, I, I think, you know, generally I'd say I personally don't think they should be used for anything which in any sense commemorates what happened there and the lives of people that were sort of some have terrible lives in those places. Um, so I, I definitely think that's the way. I'm glad they're gone. Um, and I hope we don't see the growth of any more larger scale congregate care living that separates people with a disability. Because the last thing you want to do is have places that actually reinforce or emphasise separation of people with a disability. They should be in the community, in the place where everyone else doing everything th- that everyone else does, not separated out and closed off. So it's great that people are around talking now, more, you know, more strength to you. Um, but, you know, I know for people who've lived in those places and they're still existing physically, mm. it's a memory of some terrible things that you don't need being reminded of.
0: That's right. And like even in New South Wales as well, which they were going to build new institutions, which they've been stopped now, which is good. That they are trying to close those institutions down as, down, which is mm. good as well. So, what do you know about that? That?
1: Well, I know that when we um, got to the start of the NDIs, we had basically in Victoria, probably had left just two, which was Sandhurst and Calandra, and they were the smaller ones. I think Sandhurst was fifty odd beds, and Calandra had got down to about a hundred. So, we didn't, we almost closed lots of them and closed the big bad horrible ones, like, mm. you know, in the 80s and 90s. Different governments done that. Um, but I also know New South Wales they had a lot of them left, mm. a lot more than we did and probably more than any other state or territory. I don't know that for sure, but I think that's the case. But with the NDIS, I mean, they talk about what they'll do around housing, and they actually they, they say they will only really register small-scale housing and they won't register villages of housing either. So clearly those things were re- re-emphasised by the NDIS as being not appropriate. I mean, they weren't anyway. Mm. So it's good that the New South Wales government have got a program now to close them. I'm not sure exactly where they're at, but I know they had a program to close them all. And, you know, you just hope when you look at Australia in a few years' time across the country, there's nothing left of them.
0: That's right, and it's like with the Aboriginals way back in the centuries when they were taken off their families as well, and put into these um, what are they called um, Mission, missions? So in in these missions yeah. with nuns and all this, yeah. um, that they have closed down now as well, which is good. But they their children today, they should not be taking their children off their families, and it's still happening today.
1: Well, most. You know, I think most the overwhelming fact is that pe- kids do better with their families and not with their families. Mm. And there are some times when that's not the case. I've got to acknowledge that. But generally, we should be ch- trying to keep families together and supporting families to be together. And you know, what happened to Aboriginal people about taking them was about the sense of really destroying the culture, mm.
0: which,
1: which was that's terrible. Uh, taking kids with a disability and saying to their parents, "I'll oh, just forget them, put them in institution." was just terrible too a piece of social policy you look back and you, you're horrified by it but it was common you know probably 40 years ago maybe even lo- more recently a lot out. longer yeah and so yeah, I'm glad that that's sort of now behind us but it never I don't think it solves anything to sort of create these like little enclave segregated communities where people are put away from their community because it just never works there's never good outcomes with that and um, I'm glad that we're sort of seeing the end of that in a different in lots of different areas
0: yeah Thanks. Thank you for coming along today and raising our voices. And that now we're on to our next show, and it is called "Come On Tada" by Lale. Thanks, Jane. I've been speaking today here with Arthur Rogers from the Disability Service Commissioner for the Three CR Radio about the um, Royal Commission. Thanks for listening, everybody. And now it's time to say goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks, Jane. I'm Jane Clifton, author, musician, actor, marriage celebrant, author of The Address Book. I've always been fond of 3CR, and not just because they played the song by my band stiletto Woman in Trouble 50,000 times. I was grateful for that, but that was a few years ago. Here I am again after all these years, and so is 3CR. Still supporting musicians and writers, and people with ideas to share. Keep going, 3CR.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.